Mindfulness Mode 276. You can go into that refuge and have a place of calm so that no matter what life throws at you, you can handle it with grace, with calm, with quiet. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Lankford. Thanks for joining us today, Mindful Tribe. And if you're new here, great to have you with us. Thanks for being a Mindful Tribe listener. I truly appreciate you. Last time, we talked about how connecting love to your business, connecting love to your message, to your emails, your mailings, all of those things will help you in your business. Make love a central theme of your life. I was with Michelle P.W. She's an author. She's nailing it with her successful series of love-based books. So if you missed that episode, go back to mindfulnessmode.com slash 275. I think you'll be glad you did. Mindful Tribe, I often receive notes about my show like this one from Justin. He recently emailed me and he said, I just wanted to tell you how grateful I am for your podcast. I thoroughly enjoy it and can't imagine not listening to it. I really enjoy the bullying aspect of your show and it really helped me last weekend. We were out and I saw someone bully someone and I really felt I had to stand up for them. Thanks for everything. I'm super grateful. Mindful Tribe, take a minute to let me know how you like the show send me some feedback or or some questions by emailing me bruce at mindfulnessmode.com i will truly appreciate anybody reaching out to me any of you mindful tribe thanks if you just have a chance to do that today's guest is all about leadership She was a CEO of a highly successful company and now helps other CEOs. She knows mindfulness inside and out. She truly believes it can impact the lives of CEOs and she's determined to to help them get grounded and centered. Susan is another heart-centered, passionate, mindful leader, just like so many I've had on the show. I'm sure you will learn a lot from her. So sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Susan Blaze. Hey, Mindful Tribe. I'm so glad you joined us today. I have with me a very special guest, and I can't wait to introduce you to her. She's got mega abilities, wonderful communication skills, and wonderful insight into mindfulness. So I'll just say this. Her name is Susan, and then I'm going to introduce her in a minute. But Susan, are you in mindfulness mode? I am definitely in mindfulness mode, Bruce. That is great. Susan Blaze is a leadership coach, and she's on a mission. She's on a mission to transform the world of work one leader at a time. She began her career as a receptionist, and get this, eventually she became the CEO of a billion-dollar division of a Fortune 100 company. So that's quite a climb. I can't wait to talk about that. She helps leaders understand and implement the critical balance between relationships and results so that they can unleash their people's talents to achieve bottom line success and fulfillment for all. 
And that's our dream to achieve that kind of fulfillment for all. Susan, I'm so excited to talk with you about mindfulness. Let's start here. What does mindfulness mean to you in your world? To me, mindfulness means being aware and really present for what you're doing. And it can be really challenging for everybody, but especially for leaders in today's world where everything is swirling around at lightning speed and there's UFOs coming at you from every direction. (laughs) And to keep that center, that groundedness is so critical because if the leader loses their head, guess what? Everybody else is going to lose theirs. For sure. And you've been a leader for quite a while. How long have you been a leader? How long have you been in that place? It's probably been about 35 years now. I started when I was 10. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's something I like to talk about is let's go back to when you were 10. And what were you like? (laughs) So we can do that today. But wow. Yeah. So you've been a leader for quite a while and you've gotten yourself very comfortable in that place of being a leader. And, And how do you get people like other people to be comfortable in their place? One of the things I really focus on is helping people to really realize and own and then hone their strengths. Because the people who are really good at, at things, often they are so good at it that it's like breathing and they're not paying attention. Which when you think about breathing and mindfulness mm-hmm. and how connected they are, so many leaders, they're just great at certain things, but they don't actually get it they just because it seems to them like the air they breathe they're not aware of it as they become aware of their strengths and learn how to consciously apply them in the workplace that's when magic starts to happen so how much of leadership the kind of leadership you've done is getting things done doing the tasks doing all of these many things that you have to achieve compared to connecting and relating to the people that you are working with and that are on your teams? That's really a great question. And I see it as kind of a dynamic balance, almost a seesaw Mm -hmm. that's never static. It's moving all the time. I would say it's pretty much 50-50 for me and the way I do it. Mm -hmm. Because as a leader, your job is to get the results through the people. But there's often an imbalance where some people, you know, our MBA schools are cranking out people by the tens of thousands who are all about metrics and numbers and spreadsheets. Well, that's great. But if they haven't been taught how to actually relate to people, the results are not going to be as great because when you can get your people and really learn the secret in my view is finding out where's the spark in each person. What's their zone of genius? Because I believe everyone has one. Then fanning that flame and then turning them loose so they can be the best they can be at work and find work, this whole creative, explosive sometimes area for growth and development. And it's fun. It's a radical concept. Work can be fun. And the more fun it is, the better the results are going to be. And how do you use mindfulness to find that spark and to help them to bring it out? A lot of it is a type of coaching. I I train my leaders to become coaches and to ask questions of their people. There's there's kind of different ways. There's observing your people closely. You need to walk around. You need to actually go out and see what they're doing and see what they're good at naturally. What are the things that they do? Some people are great at 
project management. They can find all those details and bring everything together. Other people are great speakers or writers or graphic designers or whatever. Find out what they're good at from that aspect, but then go deeper. What makes this person tick? What do they really care about? And you find that out by talking to them, by having relationships with them and understanding what lights their fire and then find opportunities for them to do those things. Susan, I wonder when you first started hearing about mindfulness and taking it seriously as something that you could use and that your teams could use. I started hearing about it uh, long ago, probably way back in my 20s, but I didn't put it together. And I did yoga and things like that. And I've always practiced various types of meditation, but I didn't actually make the connection to how that would make a difference in leadership until I had a crisis, okay, <laughs> which happens to so many of us. Yeah. And I realized because I was in a situation with a company that I was brought in to either turn it around or shut it down. It was already, you know, on the operating table mm-hmm. and it was getting ready to code blue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't realize how close it was, but it was so it was like being in a disaster movie. There's a flood, a fire, an earthquake, a volcano, the Martians land. I mean, it's just one thing after another. And I was starting to lose it. Right. (laughs) And so I basically cried out to God one night and said, I need help. I need someone who can help me get back on center because I knew I was off and I was starting to spin, which is very bad. Right. And Roy Masters, who I'll talk about, I I found him on a radio show one night at 8 o'clock when I'm driving home, this British angel of a man with this velvet voice was talking about how to become mindful and to dehypnotize yourself from all the things that are happening outside saved my life. Wow. And so I've been a follower of him ever since. Wow. So that was quite a while ago. And so what were some of the first things you did? Did you start to meditate? Did you do other I things? I did. Yes. He has a very simple process an observation exercise. He doesn't call it meditation, but it's really what it is. It's very, very simple. I like things that are simple. And it's about getting quiet, closing your eyes, and and just kind of looking inside your brain. And you can literally see those little sparks that fly around when your eyes are closed. And then making a connection to your body with a finger and and just noticing that finger until it comes alive and you can feel a little tingle. And then you just go from one finger to the next. So it makes the connection between your mind and your body. And it gives you a refuge. It's amazing how those swirling thoughts and anxieties and Mm -hmm. things start to calm down. And his whole point is that that is your refuge inside. You can go into that refuge and have a place of calm so that no matter what life throws at you, you can handle it with grace with calm with quiet and it it really saved my life and i think it really contributed to the leadership i was able to do through that crisis situation where we ended up having to shut the company down uh, well i was just going to ask looking back in your career as a leader did do you now notice more and more that when you were calm your teams were calm when you were agitated they were agitated absolutely Because I also, I have a degree in marriage and family therapy, which is all about human systems. Uh And there's actually a liquid nervous system that permeates a group. So any group, whether it's a family, a team, a company, a country, there's a nervous system there so that 
the leader is always communicating whether they know it or not. They are always sending out those signals and their people are adept at picking up that radar. They know, uh uh-oh, there's a problem. Or, okay, this is all right. We're going to make it through. It's absolutely the leader's job to maintain that place of sanity and calm because when people get agitated, the limbic system takes over and they can't think anymore. Their performance drops like a stone. Well, I've noticed in schools that that happens and have having worked in schools for most of my adult life I was a teacher and then did bullying prevention work for so long and did presentations in schools I would notice a huge difference in some schools the principal it seemed like they never came out of their office they were always busy 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 doing what they thought was important and they didn't relate to the students at all really they hardly ever saw them the students hardly ever saw them and then in other schools there was this dialogue going on, this continuous appearance. You know, they'd see. You know, there'd be uh, this relationship that you could see that they had built, and and if if the principal wasn't visible, they still were visible through the teachers and how the teachers felt, and it all sifted down. So, is there a similarity to that and corporate life? Absolutely, and see that that. Um, principal or CEO or president or business owner who locks themselves in their office and never come out, that's sending a really powerful message and everybody gets it. Yes. That what I'm doing is much more important than what you are doing. And when there's a gap of, of relationship, there's often fear, right? Like get sent to the principal's office. Oh my gosh. Like if you don't have any relationship with that principal, that's like God on the throne with a lightning bolt, right? You're going to get in there and get blasted. Whereas if the principal is a human being that's walking around and talking to people, okay, you might get sent to the principal's office, but you know you have a chance of talking it through as opposed to just this fearful non-presence that's out there and scary. Right. Yeah, that all makes sense. Well, earlier you mentioned about being 10 years old. What was life like for you when you were 10 years old? Were you a a little leader? Were you a very mindful person? What was your life like? Tell us a story. I think I was mindful. I remember, I'm not sure exactly what age it was. I think it was somewhere around eight or 10. Sure. It came into my mind, who knows why, that I used to say, there has to be more to life than meets the eye. Because I just looked around at all these people running around and they're working and they're, you know, they're married and they have kids and they're just sort of running around like ants or whatever. Yes. And I used to think even then, there's got to be more to life than this. And so I actually became a seeker from a young age of what's behind this? What's the meaning behind the meaning? What's the, there's got to be something behind all this activity. It can't just be that we're born, we work, we die. I mean, there's got to be more to it than that. Yeah. So. Does that answer yeah, your question? Yeah, it does, yes. And and sometimes it does appear like that. You know, and I think that's why there's so much depression and so many discouraged people out there and they're everywhere. They're in corporate, they're in their own businesses, they're unemployed. What do you do to help lift people who are feeling that sense of desperation, Susan? Oh boy, that's a great question too. Um Yeah, see I get emotional even thinking about it because mm. I've seen a lot of it. I think a lot of it is as a disconnection when people are depressed. And see, I went through a period of depression in my 20s 
where I was catatonic. I could barely get from the bed to the chair that was three feet away really? at one point. Yes, really. Wow. And so I know what that's like. And to me, it's a, it's a feeling of meaninglessness. What's it all about? There's no reason for me to live. Mm-hmm. And so for me, a key point of that when I see it in someone in my team is to try to connect them to their own strengths, something that has meaning. And it can be anything. It can be another person, a book, a dog, a sport. I don't care what it is. Find out where there's some energy in that person and see if you can then fan the flame a little bit because it is really horrible how many people are on there's mental health drugs for depression, anxiety, and everybody's got AD&D and the flavor of the month. In my own, I say BS on a lot of that, yeah. really. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of it is because it's easier for people to prescribe a pill than to say, you need to do a little work. You need to get quiet and find out what's going on and who you are. And it's so rewarding and it doesn't cost anything, but still people don't realize that that's available, I think. I love that answer. And I loved what you said about work because, you know, I was talking to someone about food and they said, well, you know what? The the companies that are creating the food that we, we eat, they're aware of the fact that we don't want to do much work. We don't want to chew. They are making <laughs> food that is actually easier to chew because people don't want to chew. And I mean, it comes all the way down to that level, which is, it seems ridiculous, but it it's a fact, apparently. And I want to ask you about nutrition, Susan, and mindfulness. And I mean, being a leader, you have to be healthy. You have to be on top of your game. What are your thoughts on having great, healthy nutrition in your life? It's really important. And I did go through a period in my really dark times that I was talking about earlier where I did not take care of myself. I'm a very physical person. I used to have horses when I was a kid. I've always been running around and doing things physically. And I stopped during the most critical time when I should have been doing it because I was working too much. So for me, I try to focus again on the basics. I, I don't take a lot of vitamins and supplements. I take a couple, but I try to get my nutrition from really good food. And I'm blessed where I live in the central coast of California. There are many, many, many organic farms here. Mm. The farmer's markets are out of this world. There's people who raise chickens and cows and sheep on grass and don't stuff them with all these antibiotics and all that. So you can get really good, clean food here. So I feel very blessed in that way. So I eat lots and lots of vegetables. The old apple a day. I eat at least two or three apples every day. Those are my favorite snack. Uh And lots and lots of vegetables, fruits, nuts, and some some animal protein. In in my mind, I'd like to be a vegan, but my body just won't let me do it. <laughs> it's like I've tried it, and it's for me. I haven't get gotten to that place, but I do give gratitude to the animals who have given yes. their lives for me to survive. Um, but it's really important to keep the myself healthy and strong because it's stressful to be a leader in the world of business. And we can't help others if we're not feeling good and if we're not healthy, that's for sure. Exactly. It's the, it's the analogy about on the airplane when they say put on yep. your own oxygen mask before you help someone else. If you don't have your physical health and your mental health in gear, how are you going to help someone else? You can't give someone what you don't have. Right. So you have to fill your own cup first and then give out of that. 
Yes, you absolutely do. So when you start working with someone to help them with their leadership skills, what are some of the first things that you want to accomplish? And are some of them related to mindfulness? Yes, they are very much so. And one of the first things I do is I really want to make sure I understand that person in depth where they're coming from. So I give a couple of different profiles. I use the Colby, which talks about how they use instinctive strengths and how they do as opposed to how they think or feel. And then I have a questionnaire all about their values, the things that are important to them, just some background on their family life. What I what I do and then we talk through all those things because I want to hear the person to hear themselves talking about themselves and to start realizing what their strengths are and how they use them. And then we set very clear goals. What are the goals you want to achieve out of this coaching? Some of them will be professional. I want to increase my profits by 20%. But then there's other personal goals. You know, I want to be a better communicator. I want to be a better delegator, whatever it is. And then I, as the coach, keep those always in front of me, literally, so that I can make sure we're achieving those goals. But it's all about mindfulness in the sense that we talk about incidents that happen. You know, I had this conflict with this other executive and so on. All right, let's dig into that. What was your part in that? What were you thinking when you said that? And when he said that back to you, what did that make you feel? And we start helping them realize their operating system, if you will. Right. And as people get more and more conscious of how they operate, they can then learn to manage themselves. Because I always say leadership is you manage yourself, you lead others. You can't really manage other people. Right. In fact, right. it's a challenge to manage ourselves. And that's so important because so many people think that's what it's all about, managing people, control, 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 where it's more about letting go, isn't it? It's absolutely about letting go. It really is. It's, I mean, I was thinking about this this morning. There's a huge concept of surrender in leadership. Yes. It's surrendering to our own gifts and talents and realizing, okay, I'm going to bring them out there, which can be scary for some people, especially the more introverted types, but for everyone. And um, realizing the strengths on the other side and then connecting those dots and surrendering in that once you have set the goals and you have helped people on your team realize their strengths, now you have to get the hell out of their way and trust them. You have to trust them that they're going to do it and that they're going to have the best interests of the organization in mind. And if you train them, I used to say, here's the fences. Here's the here's the fences because I used to train racehorses. So that image right. of the racetrack with the white fences and big wide space in between. Yes. Here's the fences. You can do whatever you want inside those fences, but if you hit the fence, jump over the fence, or crash through the fence, you have to tell me right away, and then we'll deal with it. Right. And that, but you have to trust in these times where it's nerve-wracking. Oh my God, what are they doing out there? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy, Susan. I love that. <laughs> well, you know, in in business, in corporate. And back in school, everywhere, there's bullying that takes place. And then, you know, we have to deal with that. And sometimes it stops people in its tracks and causes lifelong problems. Do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yes. In fact, one of the CEOs that I worked for, it was one of those situations where I was the golden girl for the first few months that I came in and he, I was doing all these amazing things. I was brought in to start up a whole division and 
was making great gains and doing all kinds of wonderful things. And at a certain point, I crossed him by inadvertently telling the truth to the chairman of the board when I guess I was supposed to massage the message a little bit in a different way. And I saw it happen. I, I thought to myself, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. And from that day on, for the next two years, he bullied me horribly, doing things like embarrassing me, calling me out in front of my team, having conference calls with my peers and just treating me as if I was an idiot and all kinds of things like that, where it was just miserable. And that kind of behavior destroys people. Yes, it does. Fortunately, it really does. And it really bothered me. I was going to quit. But then fortunately, the company was acquired and I got to cash out in a much more positive way. But I was going to leave because I realized that I was not being my best. If you bully people and try to beat them down, you're they're guess what? Their performance goes down. How is it? It's like we're going to beat people into success. That doesn't work very well. No. no. So did you, you probably did use elements of mindfulness through those two years to survive and to keep yourself strong, I'm guessing. I definitely did. I went back to my, you know, my, I never had really stopped, but my Roy Masters meditation, because right. you can do it in seven minutes. I would do it several times a day. Right. I'd have to go into my office go, hmm, okay, calm down, because I would be upset coming from a meeting that with him where I had just had my head beaten in, mm-hmm. figuratively, mm-hmm. and now I've got to meet with my team, so I've got to get myself together. I would go into my office for a few minutes and whoo, calm down, get myself back on center, and then go out to them, because that's another critical thing that happens in organizations is you have the waterfall, yes. <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> Not the good kind where it starts at the top. So the, the, the head person beats on the next level and they beat on the next level and they beat on the next level. I used to literally have an image of an umbrella and I would say, nope, it stops here. I don't care what you do to me. I'm not going to treat my people that way. I always treated my people well. And we had our own little corner of the world that was just fun and functioning and positive but that took a lot of effort and mindfulness to do that because I would have to bring myself back on on center before I interacted with them again. I, I really like that. I, I remember when, when our son, he's 16 now, but when he was a little boy, we might say, well, we got to get going. We'll lock the door and we'll, uh, we got to make sure everything's safe here at home. And he would say things like, oh, don't worry, dad. We live under the dome of protection. I don't nice. I don't know where he got this image but he always had it and he was always convinced that we were going to be safe in our home and in our family wherever we went we were going to be safe because we were protected by the dome of protection. I love that. I the do dome too. of protection. Wow. And that was his thing that he picked yeah. up as a child, yes. right? Yes. I think the clues it was great that you asked that question about 10 years old because I think a lot of it is we those gifts that we have are visible very early, yes. that they're just there for whatever reason. And the, we kind of go back to where we started often, if we're fortunate, and we get to go back to those things that motivated us in the first place. Yes, I agree. Susan, as we move toward the end of the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So we'll zoom right through here. The first one is this, who is one person in your life that has influenced your mindfulness? 
I would have to say Roy Masters again. Right. He is just one of my heroes. He's now about 89 years old and still going strong. Amazing. And how has mindfulness affected your emotions, Susan? Boy, it has leveled them out. I can be radically up and down and all around, and I have, because of that practice, been able to get much more centered and calm. And So the highs and lows are more moderate instead of crazy. Right. Awesome. How has breathing been a part of your mindfulness practice? You talked about it a bit already, but maybe you could kind of sum it up. Well, the breathing, because I tend to do everything quickly, in the old days... I would, you know, I want to skip all the warm up. Let's just go to the workout and yoga. Oh, yeah, breathing. I have come to appreciate how powerful it really is. And that's one of the techniques I use with my clients when they start getting upset. It's like, let's take a minute here and take a couple of deep breaths. It's amazing how the simple act of taking a quiet, calm breath or two or three can change your whole outlook. Oh, it truly is. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, related to mindfulness, what would that be? I would recommend, no surprise, Roy Masters, How Your Mind Can Keep You Well. And he has an updated version called Cure Stress, How Your Mind Will Keep You Well. It's an updated version that he wrote the first one back in the 70s. It, the principles are still the same, though. Right. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good recommendation. And I haven't had that book recommended before, I don't think, on the show. Can you share an app which might help you to be more mindful? I use his app, too. He has several apps. It's, it's called Cure Stress. You can get it from the app store, or you can get it at his website, which is fhu.com, the foundation of human understanding. He has all kinds of things on there. And I do use that app because he has a radio show and I listen to it sometimes when I'm walking. Just listening to his, that velvety British Mm. accent is just in itself. I find it calming. Wow. Well, I have really enjoyed talking with you, Susan. You have really dropped so much awesome information about mindfulness, leadership, and how we can all improve our lives. How can we connect with you? How can Mindful Tribe reach out to you and learn more about what you do? They can go to my website, which is susanblaze.com, which is spelled B-L-A-I-S, no E. Right. <laughs> and, or they can call my office, which is 818-444-7744, or email me at susan at susanblaze.com. Terrific. Well, I'll put all of that information in our show notes. And Mindful Tribe, I urge you to reach out to Susan because she is a true expert, a true person who practices mindfulness and understands its value, and she can help you. So thank you so much, Susan, for being here today. Thank you, Bruce. It has just been so much fun and really great to be with you. Thanks a lot. You take care. Bye now. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.